You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. Indeed, you are listening to a podcast from BJSM, and I'm very pleased to be with Bob Salas today. Bob is the Exercise is Medicine Advisory Board Chairman, and he was actually President of the American College of Sports Medicine from 2007 and 2008. And the reason we're talking is to get an update on the Exercise is Medicine initiative, and we're going to talk about the practicalities of engaging patients in physical activity. People know it's good for them. Today's podcast is about how this can be done in a range of settings. Good morning there, Bob. Morning, Karim. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have a chat again. And I actually listened to our previous podcast, which was one of the most popular ones in 2011. And so why don't we begin with just talking about how the Exercises Medicine Initiative, just introduce it briefly, but most people will know about it, and then tell us what the latest exciting things are that are happening. Well, as you mentioned, uh, this, this initiative was started in 2007 when I was ACSM president, and the goal back then was really to get physicians to uh, make the assessment and prescription of exercise a standard part of their practice, really a standard part of the disease prevention and treatment paradigm. And, and you know, around the world, we we really wanted to spread this idea as broadly as we could. So we had an initial launch back in, in 2007, and uh, things have gone amazingly well. We actually now have six regional centers around the world. We have uh, some 30 countries almost who have launched formal exercises medicine uh, initiatives. We've got... I think all of us around the world saying the same thing, that we all feel that exercise is, is equivalent to a medication and that physicians need to assess and prescribe it. And so if someone's listening and they're not, obviously they go to the Exercises Medicine website, and if they want to do more in their country and they think their country isn't engaged with Exercises Medicine the way they'd like them to be, what do they do? The easiest thing would be just to contact the American College of Sports Medicine. We really have kind of a toolkit that can just help help you launch an exercises medicine initiative, whether you're doing it in, within a city or, or a medical center or within a country. We've sort of got that laid out to make it very easy for somebody who has an interest. We can kind of give them a blueprint on how to do that. And does it require much in the way of resources? I don't think so. I think we it's more of just getting folks to organize it. Certainly the American College of Sports Medicine is not charging for somebody to have this information, we're really interested in just getting the message spread. And so if you have people with an enthusiasm about it, it's not a hard thing to get going. And now talk about Everybody Walks because that's something that I know you've been passionate about and it sounds like it's had good traction as well. Yeah, Everybody Walk is an initiative that was sort of the brainchild of our Chairman and, and CEO George Halverson at Kaiser Permanente, where I've practiced for uh, some 20, over 20 years now. Uh, he has really seen the value of promoting physical activity. And so it was really designed as an initiative to get America walking. At the hub of this initiative is a website that has uh, lots of information on it, including videos uh, that sort of explain the power of walking to remote health sort of a how-to guide, how to get started on a walking program, things like how to wear a pedometer, how walking can affect different diseases. Uh, and then also in this site, we have a listing of trails. We have a Everybody Walk app that you can download on your smartphone that tracks your walks. 
and then we have a listing of, of walking events all around the country. It's kind of a great resource for anybody who's interested in getting starting on a walking program and for physicians to use it to refer patients to. Let's talk about Kaiser Permanente, and you've done a great job having that large health maintenance organization really embrace physical activity, and George Halverson, who you mentioned, the CEO, deserves a lot of credit. How does it look when a patient comes into Kaiser Permanente? What exercise and physical activity measures do they get, and and how is it incorporated into every visit? Well, we've been using what we call an exercise vital sign now for about two or three years. When every patient uh, comes into a clinic setting, and is an outpatient setting, and is being uh, put in the room for the physician to see, the medical assistant asks that patient two questions. As part of their the medical assistant's workup, you know, they take their blood pressure, heart rate, pulse, respirations, ask them if they smoke, they weigh them. Um, we have an electronic medical record, so when they put their height and weight into the electronic medical record, it automatically calculates BMI. And then they're also asked. Two questions. The first is, on average, how many days do you do at least moderate exercise, like a brisk walk? And the medical assistant will click a box corresponding either zero through seven. And then they ask them, and on those days, on average, how many minutes do you walk at this at this level? And the computer then multiplies those together to give us a minutes per week average uh, that the patient reports doing moderate or greater exercise, like a brisk walk. This then shows up on the vital sign header right next to blood pressure, pulse, and BMI. And so it's very easy for the physician to then look at this. And what we encourage our physicians to do is just a one sentence, either good job, I see you're walking 150 minutes a week, or I notice that your blood pressure is running high and you report that you're not doing any exercise at all. Uh, there's a connection there. And perhaps if you started walking, it would help your blood pressure come down. So it's, it makes for an easy entree for the physician to begin a discussion about physical activity. And, you know, we're not... Uh, trying to convince the physicians to spend inordinate amounts of time uh, trying to work on behavioral change things. I just don't, I don't think that we're going to be able to get the physicians to spend long periods of time talking about physical activity. I'm just hoping to get one sentence from them. And I think it's worked that way. I think most physicians do just make a mention of it. And what resources are there at Kaiser Permanente for people to be referred to if the physician realizes that there's a poor physical activity level on the exercise vital sign? We have what we call an exercise helpline now where we can refer a patient um, and we can refer them there if they're, sm- if they're smokers, if they're overweight, and they actually are talked with a health educator who has some trained scripts to uh, talk to the patient about their physical activity level. They can mail them a pedometer, um, give them some resources in terms of websites, including the Everybody Walk website. Uh, we have some other internal websites and handouts that uh, are sent to the patient. So there's a little protocol that we follow. Downstairs from my office, we have a little health store where we sell all kinds of uh, books and we have lots of free handouts and things for patients. But we also have pedometers down there that sell for like three or four dollars. And you know, when I have a patient whose blood sugar is up, uh, they're either pre-diabetic or their diabetes perhaps is not as well controlled as I'd like it to be. And I'm thinking about adding a medication, uh, upping their insulin level. Often, what I do is say, I'd like you to go downstairs get a pedometer, and give me eight to 10,000 steps a day, and then we'll have you back in a couple of weeks, and we'll recheck your blood pressure, we'll recheck your blood sugar, and see how the walking affects that before we jump right on a new medication. I think most patients really appreciate that. Nobody wants to be on any medication they don't have to be on. And can you give us a 
patient scenario, obviously keeping it confidential, of something that comes to mind as a nice illustration and success story there, Bob? There's been lots over the years. I mean, I, I, I've always been impressed by the power of physical activity to help patients on so many different levels, whether it's a chronic disease, diabetes, hypertension, uh, but even sometimes more amazing to me is the ability to help mood, to, to alleviate uh, depression and anxiety. And, and I think one of the most striking to me is a woman who had been a longtime patient of mine and who had Parkinson's disease that was really uh, becoming sort of in stage. She had been to the neurologist multiple times, been through uh, virtually all the medicines you can think of to use to try to treat her Parkinson's. Um, and she'd become very depressed because it just wasn't very well controlled. She had uh, great difficulty uh, ambulating and came in on, into my office on a walker. Uh, and later on, she told me that she had pretty much given up. She, she, this was going to be her last visit. She thought she would come and see me one more time. She'd been visiting the neurologist who really didn't have anything left to offer we actually have a fitness uh, professional that that uh, works in a in a building a couple blocks from my office who I often refer patients to. So I talked her into going to see her and to begin uh, to let her try to help her get uh, try to get more active. So um, when my my friend Janet, who's a fitness professional uh, at this office, uh, got a hold of my patient, uh, she put her on a treadmill, walking maybe half a mile an hour to a mile an hour. I had to actually hold on to her to make sure she wouldn't fall because she had been the patient had been on a walker. So picture her hand, holding onto this treadmill, walking at a half a mile an hour, and each day just gradually increasing uh, the speed of the treadmill, working very close with her, lifting weights, very light, light weight. And about a month later, she came back into my office, uh, an absolutely different person. Uh, she didn't have the walker on. She had makeup on. You could tell her mood was, was visibly improved. Her Parkinson's symptoms were dramatically reduced. You know, and it just occurred to me, if, if this had been a pill or some type of a spinal implant, uh, this would have been on every news show in the United States. I mean, it would have been this miracle a drug or procedure that someone had developed, and uh, there's no way that anybody who had Parkinson's would be denied access to, to a drug or a procedure that had such a powerful effect on their Parkinson's disease and their mood. Um, so, you know, it just it just amazes me how we tend to, I think we could all see how that happens. We've, we've felt the power of exercise in ourselves when we do it and how it affects how, how we feel um, and how we look. Uh, but yet we just ignore it when we think of applying it to medical conditions, even though we see study after study, we see it with our own eyes, how patients respond to it. And it just really just uh, emphasized to me how it just doesn't make sense the way we put such a focus on pills and procedures and sort of ignore these powerful effects we see with exercise. That's a great story, Bob. And those of us working in the business have seen many of those. What are the measures of success with these initiatives at Kaiser Permanente? Is, is the company, you know, is the business going well? Yeah, Kaiser Permanente is doing very well in, in spite of uh, really tough economic times today in the United States. And Kaiser Permanente is what we would call a staff model HMO. It's a prepaid health plan. So in a lot of ways, it's analogous to the National Healthcare Service in the UK or in Canada, where you know the incentives are really to keep people healthy. So patients each month pay a fee. They pay, which would be equivalent to their insurance premiums, at two, two Kaiser Permanente. We're both the insurance company and the healthcare organization. And so we're all on the same page. So each month they pay a fee, and then we take care of all their healthcare. So 
obviously, if these patients are healthy uh, and don't come in, we do much better and we make more money. Uh, on the opposite hand, if the patients become very sick and have to utilize the health plan a lot, require expensive procedures, then we don't do as well. So you can see that our incentives are set up really to keep people healthy. And so the exercise is a vital sign, and prescribing exercise fits very well within that paradigm. We're really incentivized to do something like this. Bob, if you had one message for clinicians, what would you say? What would be to get all of your listeners to take up the cause of exercise as medicine, to re really be the foot soldiers for this initiative. As I mentioned, you know, the, con the uh, connection between exercise and health is closest to our specialty, the specialty of sports and exercise medicine. So I, I think we all need to go back to our hospitals uh, within our communities and promote this, that we need to get every physician, uh, our, all of our physician colleagues, wherever we live, to begin using an exercise vital sign. It's like we were with smoking 20 years ago, when we, uh, 30 years ago, when we finally decided we needed to, to look at this like a medical issue and, and get, and get uh, patients to try to change behavior around smoking. We need to work on the same thing with physical activity. And I think the only the, the specialty to do it is sports and exercise medicine. We're the foot soldiers for this idea. We understand it, and we can promote it to our colleagues in our communities, and I think I really think that's what needs to happen uh, to see the kind of changes in physical activity we need to promote health. And Bob, I know one of the things you really enjoy is coming up for listeners who catch this in the fall of 2012, and that's the uh, triathlon conference in Kona. Tell us about that. Yeah, I've, I've, for years, probably this is maybe my 15th year or so, I've organized a sports medicine conference in conjunction with the Ironman triathlon in Kona. And that's just a great athletic setting that's very motivating for your own personal fitness. And my idea for this meeting was really to set up a meeting that combined great continuing medical education. And, and from you've, spo you've spoken there, you know we have just high-caliber speakers. But then the other half, it's a half day of meeting and then a half day of fitness. And uh, really, I, I, I get folks to work out together. We have group swims, uh, group runs. We have training clinics, swim lessons, run clinics, triathlon clinics. And even if you don't do triathlon, it's a great uh, place to just come, get some great CME, work out, and, and exercise every day in a beautiful setting. And, and the, the attendees in this conference really respond to it. We actually sell out the conference every year, uh, and it's a lot of fun. So it's a great place to get CME and also get motivated for your own personal fitness, whatever level you, you exercise at. And one of the keynote speakers this year is Peter Larkins from Australia, a former Olympian. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you interacted with him, how you got to know him? Oh, well, Peter, I, I, I had met Peter uh, in um, ACSM meetings in the past, and I was in Melbourne uh, giving a, a lecture there at the University of Melbourne and, and met up with Peter again there. I'm very impressed with what all that he does in Melbourne and around uh, Australia in terms of Aussie rules football. He's, he's, a, he's a commentator there. So actually, Peter is speaking this year. I love getting international speakers, hearing their perspective. The content tends to be a combination of getting some scientists as well as clinicians uh, to present the latest things. On, and the focus of the, the talks is mostly around physical activity and endurance medicine. Uh, we've certainly covered the, a gamut of talks on the exercises medicine topics. It's a lot of fun. And Peter was a Olympic steeplechaser before doing sports medicine and having a tremendous career and being active in sports medicine. And he also runs boundary commentary at Australian football, telling 
what's happened in games. So he's very high profile in Melbourne and a great communicator, as you can imagine. And to finish, Bob, what's up for ACSM in 2013? Well, the 2013 meeting for the American College of Sports Medicine will be held in Indianapolis. And in conjunction with that, for the past three years, we've held a World Congress on Exercises Medicine. And it's interesting that we started this uh, three years ago uh, with our meeting in Baltimore. It was the uh, first World Congress, and we thought, well, we would do it for, for two years and then take a few years off and then perhaps doing it another year. And it's been so successful that we just didn't see how we could stop doing it. And so this year will be the fourth World Congress on Exercises Medicine. Our first year, which I believe you gave the keynote, we, we had uh, over 1,200 folks at that opening keynote. And uh, we, we've had typically in the range of, I think last year we had close to 60 countries represented in the World Congress. And it's been a great uh, success as a place to share ideas around promoting physical activity in terms of health. And it just always amazes me when we get an international group together, how all of us are on the same page, where we all agree on the solution to inactivity, 150 minutes a week, all of, virtually all of our uh, national uh, physical activity guidelines are identical. We say, we're all saying the same thing. And it just occurs to me as a public health message how powerful that is, that every country around the globe we all sit down and there's no disagreement on what we need to get patients to do. You know, try to get try to get five people around the world to agree on what we should do about the obesity crisis or even how we should manage a, a disease like hypertension. It's it's very hard to get such universal agreement. And so I think as a public health message, exercises medicine just lines up perfectly. As you say, Bob, that international alliance and coordination is hugely important, and especially with policymakers and government, if the different branches of sports medicine in different countries are saying different things, it's hard to get traction. And so I'm going to recommend our listeners also take a look on the BJSM website for the document that's called Seven Investments in Physical Activity. It's the seven best physical activity investments, and it makes the point that we need a multi-sectoral approach. So it's not just doctors, as we've been talking about, but it's about the built environment. It's about transport. We need to have schools on board. And these are all summarized in one fantastic document, which you can find by Googling seven investments within the BJSM website. And this was taken to the World Health Organization before their major meeting in 2011. It contributed to physical activity being ranked as one of the four major issues for the World Health Organization. So just a little bit of a plug there for the seven investments. And Bob, it brings us back to the National Activity Plan in the US just to finish because you know you can make the point that it's not all just about doctors. Doctors are part of a multi-sectoral approach. And the US Physical Activity Plan was launched and that does include the sectors. And without putting you on the spot to list all the eight sectors in that one, can you make sort of a point about where you see the, the sports doctors and clinicians fitting in with other sectors? Yeah, you know, in my mind, the intersection of physical activity and health lies closest to the specialty of sports and exercise medicine. And I really think that, that we need to be the ones leading the charge on physical activity plans, not only in the United States, but around the world. Um, I did, I chaired the healthcare sector for the U.S. physical activity plan. And sitting through the meetings to develop the, our plan, it really became cl very clear to me what you said is we can't do this alone. It's just not a, a healthcare sector issue. Really, this crosses multiple sectors of society if we hope to get people as active as they need to be. 
But that said, I think the healthcare sector is a critical sector, and we really need to be uh, a part of that. You know, I would put in a plug for the, the great Lancet series uh, that was just uh, released last month uh, in conjunction with the with the London Olympics, uh, where, where the sort of the summary statement was that in view of the prevalence, global reach, and health effect of physical inactivity, uh, uh, the issue should be appropriately described as pandemic with far-reaching health, economic, environmental, and social consequences. I really think that really sums up where we are around the world with physical activity and why we need national physical activity plans uh, to all come together uh, to work on this as a, as a worldwide problem. And uh, we had another interesting development in the United States just last week. Director of our uh, CDC, the Center for D Disease Control, Dr. Tom Frieden, uh, came out with a statement basically saying that exercise was more powerful than any pill, uh, that nothing could match the effect of exercise on on health and disease and came out very strongly advocating that we need to do things to promote physical activity, and he used walking as the example. So I think the time is really ripe. We have people around the world rallying around this message. Certainly appreciate, appreciate BGSM's support. You guys have been there since the beginning on top of this message, promoting it from, from the very beginning. And I finally think we're really beginning to see traction. It's a great place to leave it, Bob, and congratulations on your leadership. I do believe that there is a tipping point coming up. People like yourself and Stephen Blair and others have done a great job. So I hope the listeners are getting a sense that uh, it's not just the beating of the same drum, but there are practical steps that can be done and that are being done, and you gave some great illustrations of those. Thanks for taking the call at 6.30 in the morning in California. I know you're getting out to do your physical activity for today and then getting to work, so really appreciate your time, Bob. Thanks, Grim. Thank, thank you so much for having me. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.